Good morning. Today we're going to be looking at who God is in the Bible. And we've already covered it. You see here on the left who is the Lord, who is creator, who is the shepherd, who is coming, who is light, who is the Holy One of Israel, and who is the King. We've got a couple left to do here on the right side. Who is the Messiah, who is the Redeemer and Savior, and who is the Judge. And there's a couple other sub-points within those points, of course. So... Go ahead and go into who is Messiah. So Messiah uh, is traditionally understood as the Savior of Israel. There's there's a very strong connection between Redeemer and Savior, but I, I'm, we're just going to look at Messiah here in this these passages so that we can understand who is supposed to be Messiah because most people would probably tell me that Jesus is Messiah, which is true. But I want to see what these old passages texts say and how the people in the New Testament would have understood this phrase as people are calling it out to Jesus, as people are, are speaking to him and giving him these names. So let's, let's see what the Old Testament has to say. This is Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. Uh, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely, and this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Now this is interesting um, because it's talking about the branch of righteousness that will be raised up, and, and this is where they're starting with the idea of like Messiah, that there's a Savior coming. And he's given this interesting name, which is the Lord our righteousness, as it's translated into English. Nowhere do humans get the name the Lord or Yahweh or however you pronounce the holy name of God, one of the holy names of God. So this is an additional name that this person is given or God is given as the Lord our righteousness. Um, so this points to... Yahweh, our righteousness, that God who will be called this, will be called the Lord, our righteousness. And he's talking about that he's going to be a king, which we've already looked at, and he's going to reign and prosper and execute judgment, which we're going to look at here in judgment. Um, and he's talking about salvation. So this is kind of, this is like one of the first, it's not really the first. It went back to Genesis. But this is, this is a big interesting thing because they're saying the person that's going to reign as king, the person that's going to execute judgment, the person that's going to save Israel and help them dwell safely, his name is going to be the holy name of God, Yahweh. Or, so, so that's very important for our understanding of, of who this Messiah character is. I do that. Okay. So next we've got Micah 5.2. Um, but you, Bethlehem... Ephrathath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So here's another messianic passage that someone is going to be born. And the Jeremiah passage prelude, alluded to it, saying that you will be called this thing, meaning that the God's not called the righteousness at that point in time. But here someone's going to be born. But it says that he's going to be the one to be ruler in Israel. And so we've already kind of looked at like the Holy One of Israel. Um, how that's Jesus. 
and how that's God. And so this one says, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are of old from everlasting, meaning that he doesn't have a beginning, that he has always existed, because we human beings that are born, we don't exist from everlasting. We exist from the time that we're, you know, created in our mother's womb, from conception. So this ruler to be born is going to be from of old meaning they're everlasting, that they are very different than human beings. Just throwing that out there. And then Zechariah 12, 10, and 11. And I, the talk of the Lord, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So here's a very, very interesting passage in Zechariah that it says that God's going to pour on the house of David the Holy Spirit, the spirit of grace. And so that has happened uh, back in Acts chapter 2. After Jesus leaves, he sends another helper, one like him. Uh, he sends another helper, the Holy Spirit. And so, A, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, but also God sends the Holy Spirit. So this is God pouring out the Holy Spirit on those people. And so interesting in this, then they will look on me whom they've pierced. So we've talked. this is from God's perspective, talking in Zechariah uh, before Jesus was born and saying God will pour out these things and then God was pierced is how this reads. And they'll mourn for him. So then there's like the second person all of a sudden inserted into it. Like it's I and him. As one mourns for his only son. Again, more key words. And grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So there's some very interesting motifs here that he is like a firstborn son. will be mourning. Uh, this this character will be pierced, and he also this character identifies himself as the one that pours out the Holy Spirit. As this passage in Zechariah is talking about, this is Yahweh God of the heavens, creator of of everything, and it says that he's going to be pierced, which is such interesting language for it to come before Jesus came. Um, and so it's really giving an idea of how we're going to be. Uh, healed how we're going to be made right with God through the piercing, through the crucifixion. And then Daniel seven thirteen through 14. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So here's some really messianic uh, language here in Daniel 7. And it's, so the term, like the Son of Man here in verse 13, is such an interesting term because later on we're going to look at just in here in a second. Uh, the, the term Son of Man is literally just a term that God uses when he speaks to humans. He says that you're a Son of Man if you're a, a guy. And so God speaks to humans and calls them son of man. But so it says here that behold one like 
the Son of Man. He's like a human. But he's not saying that he's 100%. Well, the percentages are funny. He's not just a human is how I want to say that. So he behold one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. So someone, someone that looks like a human is coming in the clouds. And he came to the Ancient of Days. So he's coming to, we're going to call that God. But see that name, Ancient of Days, is also what we saw up here. There's another name for this, this person that would be born that is from Ancient of Days. And then he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, not some people, not just Israel, not all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It can never be destroyed. And so that's an interesting thing. That So we've looked at God as king. God is the king of kings. And then it seems like, it doesn't seem like, and then it also says Jesus is the king of kings. So here we have another one of those. Uh, God has an everlasting kingdom. And, and this this one like the son of man is coming and he will have the kingdom of nations and languages and all of them should serve him not god this one like the son of man if you think that you're just serving god and you're not serving jesus you've got a problem here because here it says that we should be serving him the one like the son of man we should be serving jesus his dominion is everlasting, and it shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. I'll point that this is probably not. This is a spiritual kingdom, not a physical earthly kingdom right now. There will be a future kingdom that will not be destroyed, but that Jesus already has his heavenly kingdom. Jesus is already reigning in it. And it cannot be destroyed because it's not of this earth. Death has no part in this new kingdom that we're going to be looking at. Um... So here are some messianic passages that talk about a future savior, a redeemer. But it also like is strongly tied to attached to that someone's going to be born who has existed before everlasting and that he's like a son of man. And we'll look at that passage here right now, son of man. So there's, it's funny, um, I'll start in Ezekiel. So in Ezekiel, the term son of man is used over 90 times. And it sounds like this. This is God speaking. Sorry, I'm crowding my screen. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impudent and stubborn children. I'm sending you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, again, all capitals, Yahweh, God. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. So this, this term, son of man, is very specifically toward a human, a prophet Ezekiel in this context. Um, it doesn't, I haven't read Ezekiel in a while, and I don't know if there's a very strong connection between them being a prophet or not. Usually it's just son of man is just, basically the same as saying son of Adam. So it's someone that is born of man, someone that is a descendant of man or Adam. Um, yeah. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. So Ezekiel uses the term son of man just to describe humans. And uh, so the term is also used 88 times in the New Testament. So, so people are using this term associated with Jesus 88 times. It's always associated with Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, one of those examples, we'll look at two of them, is here. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of the Israelites? He's talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John. And are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. Interesting, Jesus is talking in third person here. Just throwing that out there. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down down from heaven no one has ascended no one has gone up to heaven but only he who has come down from heaven that is he's going to tell you who that is the son of man who is in heaven so there's a very specific clause to this name the son of man and as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life so here is this very interesting phrase son of man here twice and it says the son of man who is in heaven so there is this one like the Son of Man, if you'll remember our previous verse, uh, who is from everlasting. There is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Or like, I'm going to add that word like in there, but that's not what the scriptures here say. Um, and then he talks about this thing about Moses. And so he's saying, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what's this talking about? I think it's very interesting, so I'm going to... We're going to go back and look at it because it's very interesting. Um, Jesus is always claiming these things, and we, we kind of read over them, gloss over them, and I want to highlight them because we, who Jesus is is under so much attack these, these days. So what's this serpent thing about? Going back to Numbers 21, 4 through 9, and it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor, these are the Israelites, uh, by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our souls loathe this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So these people are grumbling because they're, they're just people grumble. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons, but these Israelites who had just been saved by God followed the cloud, followed the uh, pillar of fire, had so much done for them by God that they start grumbling against God again. They're becoming discontent. And so it says, therefore the people, and so the snakes bit them and they're, they're venomous. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Suddenly they realized, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So there's this context that people are going to die if they get bit. And so instead of God just snapping his fingers and saying, Oh, everyone's healed, it's not about that. God is, is making a very interesting point for the future that it's... Yes, God could have done it that way, but that's not what God did. God instead said, hey, make this fiery serpent, put it up on a pole, and everyone that looks, just simply looks at this thing, he'll be healed. He'll, he'll be able to live. 
And so this idea goes back here to where Jesus is saying, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, verse 14, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So this person in the likeness of sinful human is going to be lifted up onto a pole. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the, the, the requirement has changed a little bit. Instead of looking upon Jesus on the cross, because that was 2,000 years ago, so we can't do that. So instead, God says, hey, it's not whoever looks at the serpent on the pole shall live. It says that whoever believes in him, the Son of Man, should not perish but have eternal life. And we know that Jesus will eventually go to the cross where he'll be lifted up. And it will be for the purpose of drawing all men to him so that we might have eternal life. Not just life in the wilderness, like over here in Numbers 21, 44 through 9, but life eternal. Life eternal. I'll have to remember that for later. So here we go. And then fi finally one more passage in John about the Son of Man. John, I'm apparently reaching the edge of my everything. The John 12, 34. The people answered him, and we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. So they're talking about the Old Testament is saying that this Christ figure, Christ is the, uh, the Greek word, no, it's Christos. Yeah, the Greek word, maybe Latin word for Messiah. So they, they modernized Messiah, the Hebrew word to Christ. Um, but going back to it, so... We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? You see the same context that we were just talking about. Again, Son of Man, lifted up. Who is the Son of Man? So they're, they're talking about that the Christ, the, the Messiah, will be remain forever. But they're thinking physically? And then there's... They're having a conversation. They're saying the Son of Man must be lifted up. Or what do you what are you saying that he's going to? It sounds like Jesus in this section is saying that it sounds like this this Christ, the Son of Man, is going to die. Who is the Son of Man? Verse thirty five. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke. And departed and was hidden from them. So we have this idea that the Old Testament, these uh, Pharisees, or these people that are talking to Jesus, are like, well, the Christ, the Messiah, is going to last forever. But you're telling me that there, he's going to have to be lifted up. What what does this mean? And who is it? And Jesus is like, it's me. I'm I'm the light. I'm I'm the one that's going to be lifted up. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Christ, and I will last forever. I will remain forever but I have to die physically first before that can happen to, to pay for your sins. So that's a very, very interesting um, passage and idea about the Son of Man. So there's also one other idea in the Bible called the begotten Son, um, which is another idea. So sometimes uh, people make this out to mean that Jesus is a created being because it says that he's begotten. And most people translate the word begotten into born. But so that's not the, the Greek word being used there. So we're going to continue in John three sixteen and talk about the begotten Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Least, least his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So here's this idea of this begotten son, this only son, and that this Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God, and that He is light, and He is ascending. He has come from the Father. So this, this idea of a begotten Son, is um, the Greek word monogenes, and it doesn't always mean. So usually, honestly, it doesn't mean born. It means one of a kind. It would be a better translation of it. So, and this is just an idea. So not all people are considered sons of God, as many people today assume they are. So they, they assume that we'll get there. We are children because we are not adopted in, but we are not begotten like Jesus was. So begotten. So we're all born. We're not all. So we're all born and we're all made in the image of God. But so being made in the image of God does not assure us our salvation. It's only through being adopted into the family um, that we get to be sons of or daughters of God but we're not of the same kind we are not sinless and we're not sent from God from heaven to be born into this world and so this idea that Jesus is the only begotten son meaning he's the only born son is not a good way of understanding this passage uh, earlier on it's going to talk about David as the, the begotten son of Jesse but First of all, uh, Jesse had many children, and he, uh, David was not the firstborn. He was the lastborn, actually. But when they say that um, he was the begotten son of Jesse, meaning he's a one-of-a-kind son because he was anointed to be king. Um, so we have this idea of begotten son, meaning he's a one-of-a-kind not that he was necessarily born or created. He, he was born physically into a human body, but he existed from ancient of days. He existed from the past. He says that before Abraham was, I was or I am. So those are, those are some ideas. And so those, those ideas go throughout the Old Testament. So we have here in Psalm 2, 6, and 7. Uh, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So here's the, again that word being used. It's a very interesting phrase because God's talking to someone that has already been born. And he has set him on his holy hill to be king. And he's saying that today I have made you one of a kind. Rather than today I have born you, today I've received you, you know, as a as a natural born child. That's not how the scripture is using the word begotten. The word begotten is being used to say that you are a one of a kind because you are my son. And again, we have that that language about God having a son here in the Old Testament, in Psalms during the day of David, days of David. And again in 
2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17, we get a similar idea. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up, this is God talking to David, I will set up your seed after you, meaning one of your descendants, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. So here's God talking about a, an individual who is going to have a kingdom forever that will come from David's body as one of his heirs. And as we know, Jesus is from the line of David. And they, they, we've, one of the names, he is son of David, is one of the names that people call him. So whoever this individual that will be coming from the line of David shall be called God's son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be ever established forever. According to all these words and according to all the visions, so Nathan spoke to David. So we have this, this idea that if he commits iniquity, if he commits sin, that God will chasten him. But he, he doesn't commits and he doesn't commit any of that he actually has god's mercy all the time with him um, and it shall not be taken away from him so there's that passage about this guy we're still kind of in the messianic this is the people that people are looking for um, so then we have the same daniel seven thirteen passage about you know the one like the son of man uh, coming in the clouds of heaven. So I'm going to pull that idea out. And in Matthew 26, 64, Jesus is speaking and he says, Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So the, the same idea, one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds in Daniel 7, getting the kingdom. It says here that Jesus is going to be coming. He is the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And again in Revelation 1, 7 through 8, Behold, he is coming with clouds. Um, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. So, I mean, this is a pretty clear indication that this is Jesus. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. And even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, some people say that this is a change in subject here and that suddenly God is talking, but, but in the context, in the verses, it seems like it's Jesus talking because, because of how things are being worded. And then we have Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. So we're talking about the Messiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So here's a sign from the Lord about the Messiah. This is how he's going to be born. From a virgin, it said in Isaiah, before Jesus was born, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and then later on. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's an interesting phraseology. Son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we have this child that's being born, and he is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So here we've got this, this confusion of, of identity, like God's going to give us a child and his, the government will be on his shoulders and a son, it's, gonna, it's calling him a son will be given. And these are the things that he's going to be called, which is so interesting. Most people say, oh, but mighty God is only for God the Father. And an everlasting Father should only be named for, you know, God the Father and the Prince of Peace. There's so many names that we give God. And here these names are be given to a child that is going to be born. A son that is given. I, I, it's hard to be less clear that whoever this child that's going to be born, his name will be called Emmanuel, who will be born from a virgin. He shall be called Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And the government will be on his shoulders. And again in Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So this is God talking, and and that at some point in time, God's son will be in Egypt. This is after the Israel, the actual person of Israel, was in Egypt. And he was never called out of Egypt, but different story. So he's talking about his son. And so we know that in Jesus' lifetime, he fled to Egypt and, and was called back out of Egypt by a dream, which I don't think I have in these verses, to come back to his homeland. So then we come down to Matthew 121, talking, reminding us of the Isaiah 7 passage. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So here in Matthew 1, first chapter, New Testament, Jesus is born, and there, uh, the Holy, the, an angel is talking, and he's saying she, that she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. We kind of looked at the sins and stuff. And the very next verse is, he says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And so what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. Matthew's trying to make the point that God is being born here with us to live, to take away our sins, to, to bring us into relationship with the Father. And finally, Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will, himself will be with them and be their God. So this idea that God is going to come down and live with us and be our God from here is a, a future idea that's going to happen. But it's also something that's already happened in the first birth, of, or the first, you know, revealing of himself in the human form that God came down and dwelt with us and saved us from our sins if we would only look look upon him on the cross or believe on him in the cross that is all that he requires of us that's what he asks us to do and so this idea of Messiah this coming savior this person that's gonna gonna come he's gonna be called the son of God It's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. It's going to come from the line of David. And he's going to be like the Son of Man. And so there's all these ideas interwoven into the scriptures trying to reveal who is Jesus. And he is God born to us.
And so we can take comfort in knowing that Jesus is the Messiah who came to save, but, but God is also the Messiah because only God is Redeemer. Only God is our Savior, as we're going to look at next time. And so this Messiah character who's going to sit on a throne and rule forever is God himself. And so never get confused. Jesus is God. It's right, black and white. If you would just go to your scriptures and read them for what they say and don't take any extra doctrines or theology with you, it is very clear that the writers are saying that Jesus is God. Hope you have a blessed day. May you consider this.